The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119, verses 36 to 37. A very, very important thing for us to talk about. I'm going to make it really short, but a very, very important thing for us to talk about today. In his book, Bias... A CBS insider exposes how the media distorts the news. Bernard Goldberg, he recounts a pivotal moment in television news. In the early 1970s, the CBS president, Dick Salant, told staffers, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is, for the first time in history, CBS News made money last quarter. The bad news is, for the first time in history, CBS News made money last quarter. Goldberg writes, Salant knew everyone knew. If news could actually make money, the suits who ran the networks would expect just that. Sure, they would want quality in theory, but they wanted ratings and money in fact. In the words of Don Hewitt, creator of 60 Minutes, before they would say, make us proud, now they tell us, make us money. Here we go, another sermon on money. And why not? Are not our minds consumed with the almighty dollar? Writing in The Atlantic, author and researcher Arthur Brooks says, money is one of the things Americans worry about most in the world. One survey found that even when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans felt anxious or insecure about money, sometimes often or all the time. And during the COVID pandemic, another survey found that workers were almost five times more likely to worry about money than even their health. But many of us really don't need to worry about money. Only 11% of Americans actually live in poverty. And yet, according to a recent survey, more than half of millennials with a net worth greater than $1 million feared losing their wealth a great deal or somewhat, as did more than a third of similarly wealthy baby boomers. So Brooks concludes, for millions of people then, worrying about money is not a reflection of whether their basic needs are being met. In fact, This anxiety reflects deeper concerns that money cannot solve. It's amazing when you think about it. Money is just one of those enigmas. It's one of those things that that just fascinates fascinates me, especially when it comes to, to looking at money in regards to what the Bible clearly says about the topic. But the interesting thing is finding out that in the end, we're concerned about money But for many of us in our culture today, we're concerned about money, not that it's providing our needs, but are we going to have enough money to provide for our wants? That's the thing. That's the thing that's amazing. It's we don't feel like we have enough money because we don't have enough to cover our wants. What's happened it's amazing, like, you know, sometimes when you talk to some of our, especially some of our younger people these days, it's like when it comes to needs, their wants are actually their needs. Can we tell the difference anymore between a want and a need? You know, but before, cell phones used to be a, a want, but apparently now it's a need. So I get the cell phone thing. Well, so, you know, Shane, they don't have pay phones and all of that kind of stuff anymore, all that stuff. I, yeah, I get it. So can we just get a phone that calls? Do we actually have to get phones that drive our cars? It's, it's amazing how this has shifted. Um, in the, And it comes down to the idea of what we understand as the American dream. Sometimes we confuse the American dream with the American way. The reality of the love of money is not a figment of our imagination. It's the way it goes. Even when it comes to politics, the saying goes, just follow the money. Hmm. We hear songs that talk about money, money, money. 
We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Success, people will say, is the only thing in the world that truly washes away sins. The message is loud and clear that we're getting from media, social media, whatever media. We're watching, uh, even in social media, there's these, these the jokes, that, these pranks that I think are kind of funny. It's like a guy will walk up to a girl that's walking on the sidewalk and, and he's like trying to get her to go out on a date and she's just like, nope, nope, I want nothing to do. I got a boyfriend and they start lying. They start doing all this stuff while they're, you know, flaunting there, you know. And then the guy's just like, oh, please, come on. The he, guy is dressed in just like a T-shirt and jeans, you know, and, and just regular shoes and just, you know, well, why, why, why wouldn't you want to go out on a date with me? Just can't, can we go on a, no, no, no. And she doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And then he goes and walks and he opens up with the key a Lamborghini, walks into the car, and guess who comes back? <laughs> Is this your car? I mean, it, it, and, it, and it's funny, because then at the end, he's just like, well, you know what, I just, you know, uh, that sounds nice, but I just don't date gold diggers, and he drives off. Um, so kind of funny, Right? But the thing is, is it's sad because that message is getting across. The message is, is that you're not worth anything if you don't have money. You're not worth anybody's time if there's no money. And it's interesting how a lot of times money is the thing that brings worth, worth enough that, uh, that we can speak, even speaking to things that we have absolutely uh, no clue about. Funny, again, but sad. And it seems like in our country, everything and everyone can be bought. Mark Twain, he wrote, what is the chief end of man? To get rich. In what way? Dishonestly, if we can. Honestly, if we must. Who is God? The one and only true money is God. Gold and green, backs and stock, father, son, and ghosts of all the same three persons in one. These are the true and only God, mighty and supreme. Money. Fred Allen, uh, I believe he's from CNN. He might not be at CNN anymore, but uh, Fred Allen from CNN, I think. Uh, He wrote, there are many things in life that are more important than money, and they all cost money. Yeah, it all makes sense. In this world, uh, all of us in the church, we're listening to this and going, yeah, in this world, that's how it is. Yeah, that's how people are. That what we do, what they do with money, it, it shows a lot, yes, but that's just what they do. That's how they are with money. That's not the way we do things in the church, right? Uh, Warren, a true story here, Warren Bailey, he died July 14th, 2000, at the age of 88. He had no family, and he wasn't much of a church-going man. To the best of anybody's recollection, in the town of St. Mary's, Georgia, Mr. Bailey hadn't been to church in the last 20 years. He did, however, make annual donations of around $100,000 to St. Mary's United Methodist Church a 350-member congregation with an annual budget of less than 300000 It probably wasn't a great shock to the members at St. Mary's that the church was remembered in Mr. Bailey's will, but the amount of the bequest was indeed a shock. There was a stunned silence among the assembly, assembled parishioners when Reverend Derek uh, McAdlier, uh, sorry, McAdlier, broke the news that the man who owned 49% of the region's Camden Telephone Company had left the church $60 million. It's all unreal to me, said the pastor. This is a number that doesn't have any reality. Mr. Bailey's will included no instructions on how the money was to be used, so the church had set up an advisory board to decide how to handle its newfound and unexpected wealth as good stewards. The pastor reports that he had been besieged by calls of all 350 uh, members uh, for reasons to get some of that money. And he admits to a worry that greed could consume the congregation. This was his lament, and this is how the article ends. How do we remain 
a Christian church. $60 million can destroy a church like that? Why? It all continues to challenge the modern church today. Money. And that's one of the things that I think that we've got to be honest with ourselves about in, in this time is just how much money affects everything, how money even affects the church. And I think that in a lot of ways, when it comes to it, we tend to want to turn a blind eye to it. Uh, things that happen, things that we get, things that we do, we just, hey, that's just the way it is. I mean, we need money, we need money. So much compromise we see happening in the modern church for the almighty dollar. The televangelist, the prosperity gospel that continues to spread all over our country and just in the Western culture, it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And you, without realizing, well, I think maybe we realize, but maybe are we turning a blind eye to the fact that Paul gives us a great warning in Galatians about those who preach another gospel? And he said, if you preach a gospel other than the gospel that we have spoken to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word there is the word we get anathema. Serious, serious thing. We got, you know, worship teams and worship uh, uh, people all across our country that are compromising core beliefs for money. I mean, remember I told you the story about a Christian record label, a major record label, one of the A&R guys that I had talked to, and I was talking with him about our band, and we were talking about that kind of stuff, and he was just like, well, Shane, let me be honest. You guys don't necessarily have the look that we're looking for. And he was basically saying, the thing that we look for, and especially when it comes to our female artists, is we want female artists that Christian boys will lust after. Serious, true story. That's what they want. And he says, because those are the kind of records that sell, and that's what we're interested in. We want to make records that sell. Worship leaders, I mean, there's a story of, of a, a worship leader that I know at a church here in Colorado. He, um, he continues to this day to take illegal drugs and the pastor in the church, they know about it. And he continues to lead worship at the church. And when I talked with the pastor about it, I said, hey, so you're a worship leader. I mean, he does like hardcore illegal drugs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. We've been talking with him and counseling with him and all that stuff. But what are we going to do? This is what he said. And I quote, he puts butts in the seats. Compromise for success for money, Christian bookstores are stocking heretical books, and the reason why they do it, they know it's heretical and they do it. But why do they do it? He, simply because they sell. It's not just making ends meet anymore. I mean, I could understand back in the day, you know, wanting to make sure that we got enough money in order for us to, to take care of the basic needs of the church and the ministry. I remember... Um, I remember Hank Hanegraaff used to say all the time uh, on the radio show when he, was, he had to ask for money, and he says, because we need to understand that water is free, but somebody's got to pay for the plumbing. I remember that. And I was just like, yeah, it's actually kind of a clever way of putting it. You know, water's free, but people got to pay for the plumbing. But it's not that way anymore. Yeah, now, today, we say water is free, but somebody's got to pay for my mansion, my private jet, my... Uh, alligator shoes. <laughs> and here's the, here's the new developments. Somebody's got to pay for my mistresses. Someone's got to pay for my gold-plated toilet. Someone's got to pay for my security guard. Someone's got to pay for, for others. You know, the thing that's, that, that's interesting is we think that God... We think that Christ, we think that, you know, all these things when it comes to Christianity, that these are the things that we hold of value. Especially, you know, in, in throughout all of history, it was always the search to try to find uh, in, in, in life where our true value used to lie. And um, there, I could tell you a quick story. There is a guy who I'm sure all of you are familiar with. His name is Karl Marx. Karl Marx, one day as a young boy, 
talked about what changed and revolutionized his life and what caused, uh, he, he credits this actual situation as the reason why he came up with the idea of dialectical materialism. Um, it's, it, all, that, all the philosophy that came with that. And he says that when he was growing up, he grew up in a very uh, firm and very committed uh, Jewish household. And so they applied the ideas of Judaism and they tried to live out the ideas of the Old Testament, uh, just you know, as much of the sacrifices they can do. And his father and his mother were very devout. And what happened was is that there was a business deal that actually took place that caused Karl Marx and his family to move to Germany. Now, there is some speculation on this, so you know, I'm just telling you just how I learned it in college. Um, they, um, they moved to Germany. And what Karl Marx said is more and more, in order for his father to continue in the business that he was doing, he was having to make decisions and having to make uh, uh, changes within the family in order for him to connect with certain businessmen. Well, do you, guys do you guys know that in Germany at the time, Judaism wasn't the popular religion? It was Lutheranism. So what ended up happening is Karl Marx will say that changed his life is one day his dad came back and said, you know what, guys, in order for us to continue to make uh, the business deals that we're making, we are converting from Judaism to Lutheranism, and we're going to become Lutherans, which for us as Protestants, we think, ah, that's, that's actually a pretty good thing. Do you know what that did to Karl Marx? Karl Marx goes, you know what? I used to think God and religion was the thing that directed us, the reasons why we make our decisions. Karl Marx says, you know what? God doesn't run the world. Money does. And that started the whole thing, the whole revolution as to what we see. Money. Money. Money is the one that's really in control. Now, people will convert from their, their, their devout faith. They will convert, turn their backs on it to go to something else for the sake of business deals. Money. Money runs things. Money is just one of those things. It is the enigma. It is the mystery. Money is the reason why the actor and comedian by the name of Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. It's why King Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And these are quotes by people who actually have wealth and are letting us know that it doesn't help and it doesn't change anything. So let's take a look at our passage of scripture today. Psalm 119 verses 36 to 37. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the reality of the love of money in our culture and church today. The second thing we'll explore is the nature uh, is our nature to be fixated upon worthless things. And finally, we'll see how life comes through the good news of the word of God and life and life, more abundant life is the life that we live. So our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to put our hope in the idolatry of money and worthless things, it is the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the life and life more abundant that we receive from the word of the living God. So point number one, the love of money, the root of all kinds of evil. This is one of those things, family, that we have got to come to grips with. We gotta be honest. We gotta try to be as honest as we can uh, today when it comes to this. This is the, one of the things that we have to come to grips with when it comes to money and the love of it. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. It is in our nature to love money. Family, we don't have to teach people to love money, do we? I mean, have you actually sat down with your children when you were, you know, raising them? 
And, you know, I, I, I haven't done it. I haven't actually sat down with Scott, Sean, and Shannon at the dinner table and say, hey, let me teach you one of the principles of life that you guys have got to get in your head. There's this thing in this world called money, and you got to love it. you got to love money. You gotta, we don't do this. We haven't done this. I'm sure none of you as parents have ever had to do that with your children. But it's just amazing how it just happens. It's just there. It's just in our culture. You don't have to do it. We, we in our culture teach people how we can fulfill the desire, but we don't teach them to have the desire because the love of money is inherent to us. That just happens. It's just a part of us. It's just a part of our nature. It's our nature to love it. It's part of the essence of sinful man to love money. This is why the psalmist asks the Lord, incline my heart to your words. Incline my heart to your laws. Some of your translations will say, incline my heart to your testimonies. Essentially, it's the word of God. Incline my heart. Um, the Hebrew phrase there could, uh, you know, I'm just taking a shot here, but uh, incline my heart could be understood also as uh, make me willing to or give me the desire to love your word rather than loving God. Now, why would the psalmist ask that? He's making it very, very clear. Our heart is naturally inclined to the love of money. That's just there. Boom, it's just there. That's why you say, you gotta incline my heart, change my heart, change my disposition. We need the Lord to change the disposition and motivation of our heart so that we yearn for the words of God instead of yearning for dishonest gain. This is super important that we see this. Because this is, this is the thing. It's like there's, let's just be honest, there's just not really any kind of methodology or any kind of 12-step program that we can do that will help us deal with this issue that we call the love of money. I wish there was, but there just isn't. This is one of those things, especially in the Western culture today, this is one of those things we need God to help us. We need God to change our hearts. We need God to change our minds. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us, especially when it comes to this idea. Make me willing or give me the desire for your word. This is the picture of what's in our hearts. By nature, we are inclined to love money more than the word of God, and we need the power and the grace of God to change this disposition. So we cry out with the psalmist today, God, please give me the desire for your word more than our love for money or more than our dishonest gain. That's why it's also important that we recognize the many times that we see the psalmist in 119 talk about how he sees the word as more more valuable than money. Your words, O Lord, your law, your your testimonies, everything that you give to us, that is more valuable, and I think we talked about this before, the way we understand that the Hebrew rendering, more valuable than millions in gold and silver. And we laugh about this all the time, but let me just point out something very pointed. I can, I can tell, make an announcement to, you know, to Aurora and just say, hey, on Sunday, we're actually going to preach the gospel and you're going to hear from the very words of God. How many think if I made that announcement, people would come? I would actually be kind of surprised, actually, because, you know, just I wonder how many of the churches in America today are still preaching the word of God. But let's just say that. Okay, now let me ask you this. How about if I said to, to Aurora, hey, this Sunday, come to Central Baptist Church where we're going to give millions and millions and millions of dollars of gold and silver away to the people that come. 
You think there would have been a line out there at, you know, 930? I mean, we do announcement like that, and we have gold and silver that we're going to give to everybody for free. I guarantee you that at, what was it, 1029 a.m., we are going to have a line at the front door here that's going to go around the block, probably a line longer than a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> Say I'm lying. It's the truth. And we would want to say, hey, 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 hey. no, there's, there's no love of money. I don't have no love of money. Mm-mm. No, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm free of that. I don't need that. Remember the Mark Twain quote, dishonestly, if we can, honestly, if we must. We got to be honest with ourselves today when it comes to the love of money. Because there's so much deception when it comes to this topic. There's so much justification when it comes to this topic. So much disillusionment when it comes to this topic. Many times, many are emphatic about pointing out that the problem is the love of money being the root of all evil, not money is the root of all evil. And I get that lecture all the time. Hey, Pastor Shane, you know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So you need to back off a little bit, I think. And I said, yeah, you're right. You are absolutely right. So you don't love money. That's right. I don't love money. Prove it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Changes everything, doesn't it? So much disillusionment. And it's not a hard thing. It's really not a hard thing to find out whether you love money or not. It, in our culture, you are faced with it every single day. Is there ever a time where the acquisition of money supersedes obedience and knowledge of the Word of God? Faced with it every day. You know you're not supposed to do this, but come on, Shane, it's just a, just a $20 extra. If I just do this, I could get $20 more. If I just say this, it'll get that person in trouble, and you know what? I'll get, the, I'll get the raise. He won't. It's not really true, but if I get them to believe that that's the case, then, you know, then I might get the raise instead. Things that we do, things that we do to our neighbor, things that we, we will do, cheating on our taxes, you know, all the things in life that there's compromise for and all this. And it's just like, yeah, well, people cheat on their taxes all the time. Christians cheat on their taxes. Family. Yeah, I get, I get that the world does these kinds of things, but it's happening in the church. So much disillusionment. It's not a hard thing. Anytime the acquisition of money supersedes obedience and knowledge from the very word of God, there is love for money. And let me say this, if you've heard it once, I know you've heard it a thousand times, so let's have a thousand and one times. You cannot serve two masters. If you are a Christian today, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. And the problem is, is today we lie to ourselves and think that we can. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And, and Shane, you, did you not also too talk about money and, and loving money and all that stuff? Didn't you refer to it as idolatry? Absolutely, I did. Colossians chapter 3, 5. Colossians 3, 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Family, that's the, thing, that's the point I'm trying to make. When it comes to money, when it comes to these types of things, is this before God? If it's before God, then it's idolatry. When we will serve the almighty dollar more than we serve the almighty God. People say, well, but but I I serve God too. 
Well, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. We gotta stop lying to ourselves in our culture today. We've gotta stop it. We've gotta be honest with ourselves. We gotta believe in God's word. And this is why the love for money is a bad thing. And this is the insanity of sin. We wanna serve money. Money is our God. And did you know that money is a cruel God. Money is a horrible God. Just is. First Timothy chapter 6, 9. First Timothy 6, 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Right? So, you know, it's like I, I, you see that, right? It's, you see that with like, I, I don't know how it is now because I, I, I lost interest, but back when American Idol came out, you know, the first couple of seasons, it was kind of like the big thing, right? And the thing that I thought was really interesting is just like, you know, Ryan Seacrest would walk and he would interview the people that were, you know, going to try out and going to basically sing for the judges and all this stuff. And, and it was always like the question was just like, well, why are you here? Fame, fortune, make money. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I long to be rich. I long to be rich. And it's, just, it's like you kind of wonder why, right? That's number one. You kind of wonder why. Why do they do that? Or do you? Right? Okay, quick, quick test here. Okay, this is the point I'm trying to make. In line talking to the people, why are you here? I want to be famous. I want to be rich. You know, I, I'm the next Diana Ross, you know, and just, you know, and he's talking, why are you here? Well, I, I'm going to be the next Elvis Presley. And, you know, I'm going to, and they're talking and I'm going to be the next Johnny Cash and I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be famous. And I'm going to be successful. Go to this person over here. Okay. I, I just, I'm using some of the people that maybe most of you would know, but let me throw out maybe one modern. I'm going to be the next jelly bean. I'm going to be the next machine gun Kelly. Kelly. Um, and going through all this, and I'm going to be rich and I'm famous. And we watch this, and we're all like, oh, yeah, how nice, how nice. I don't think anything is wrong with that, do we? Here's the thing that I think would be funny. Ryan Seacrest goes up to an individual and says, why are you here today? Oh, I'm just here to hang out with my friends. Oh, why well, are you going to sing? Yeah. Well, don't you want to be, you know, do, do well so you can go? Ah, I don't care. Yeah, it'd be cool if I did, but if I don't, I don't. Well, don't you want to be famous? Not really. Don't you want to be rich? No. In America, we think that's a problem. Seriously, think about that. That's what we recognize as the issue. That would be the problem because that's how we're, how, how we're wired now in our culture. That's how we're wired in society today. That's what you want. Every single person wants to be rich. Every person longs to be rich. And if you don't, something is wrong with you. And what does the Bible say here? People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So we think there's a problem with people that don't want to be rich. But the Bible is telling you, let me tell you about the reality of those who want to be rich. Oh, so how do we fix that? Oh, well, we just don't preach on this passage of scripture. Let's take it out of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. If you are greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. 
hello, wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The Bible is telling you that this is dangerous. This is why the author prays the prayer that nobody prays today. Proverbs 38 to 9. Proverbs 38 to 9. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. How many people think that Christians in the West wake up in the morning and the first thing they pray is, give me not riches? Yeah, even in the church, we think that's weird. Why would you not God? Why why would you not want God to to give you riches? Why would you not want God to make you rich? Why would you not want God to do this amazing thing? Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, "Who is the Lord?" We want that. We want that possibility that you have so much money, God gives you so much money, that the result is what? You deny God. Oh, great job. Sure, 60, 70, even 80 years of life here on earth and spend eternity in hell. A horrible master it is, but yet we are by nature inclined to love money. We are by nature inclined to ignore the word of God to acquire more and more gain. We gotta be honest with ourselves today. We know that money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is. Do you know for a fact today that you don't love money? Do you know that you are inclined, uh, that you are inclined more to the word of God than money? Do you know that that's actually happening in our lives? We need to pray to the Lord that he will incline our hearts to the word instead of the love for money. Point number two, really quick. Turn our eyes from beholding vanity. And yet another thing we are inclined to do, to look and behold vanity. Maybe another way to understand verse 37 is avert my eyes from pointless images, maybe. And this is important. The eye, we've heard the eye is the window to the soul. Better yet, The eye is the lamp of the body. I I get it, you know, uh, eye, the window to the soul. Um, We're we're still trying to debate as to who actually said the eye is the window to the soul. I think they're, they're talking like possibly Shakespeare, all that stuff. But I think the way the Bible describes it is so much better. That the eye is not the window to the soul necessarily. The eye is the lamp of the body. That's why it's so important. What, what, what does the Bible say about that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you, th- and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. This is why the psalmist is saying, God, please, please don't make me be fixated. Turn my eyes away from vanity, from pointless things. This is not prudent for a Christian to allow these worthless things to naturally catch our eye. Why? Because it's going to infect our heart with worthless vanities. We gotta watch what it is that we're coveting. We gotta watch what it is that we're yearning for. One commentator writes, the disease of covetousness not only lurks in our hearts, but spreads over every part so that neither eyes, ears, feet, nor hands have escaped its baneful influence. In a word, nothing is exempted from corruption. Coveting is there. Coveting. That's, when it comes to the eyes, that's, a, that's an, impa- an amazing thing of what we see. And because of what we see is what we desire and what we want. Right? I mean, was that not what we saw in the garden? She saw it was, saw that it was good. 
The things that we look at, the things that we covet, the things that we want, the things that we desire. We've got to make it clear in our minds that all of the honors, the pleasures, and the profits of the world are the vanities which draw multitudes away from godliness. And that's hard, hard in our culture today. One of the things that I keep trying to have to beat out of my children, you know, the coveting. When the things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we yearn for, the things that we just gotta have, peels to the eyes. Man, I remember back in the day, and I don't, I don't know if you guys remember this, but man, I remember when Guess Jeans came out. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe for those that are older than me, maybe it was the day Bell Bottoms came out. I, I don't know. I don't know. Charlie, were you like into Bell Bottoms at all? Oh, you were? Okay, good. 901. <laughs> oh, 501. 501? Oh, Levi's. Oh, yeah. The Levi's still in business? Anyway. Um, man, I remember for me, man, when Guest Jeans came out, I just had to have the Guest Jeans. And all my friends at school, they all had the Guest Jeans and they had to have it. And I remember, man, back in the day, Guest Jeans was maybe 75 bucks. And I'd be like, Mom, Dad, it's only $75. Only $75, Shane? Are you out of your mind? I'm not paying $75 for Guest Jeans. You know, I'll pay $50 for Levi's, something like that. But just a couple, you know, couple, you know, $20 more, I could have did this stuff. Did, I, I just, I fell out of my seat the other day. Um, there was a pair of jeans that people were raving about on this one thread, the social media thread. So I just, I, I clicked and I followed. I wanted to see what the big deal was. These jeans were $1,200. And these are the jeans that these kids are asking their parents for for Christmas. And I'm just like, where is this coming from? What's happening? So I, I clicked again, and I looked. There was barely any jeans there. There's a big old cutout right over here. No, no jeans. The legs showing, leg is this, leg is that. You know what I'm saying, man? Back in the day, I mean, I get the whole, you know, torn jeans and the ripped stuff. In the culture today, it's gigantic pieces. The whole leg is showing and the knee is out and the jean is like this. And you're spending $1,200 for 50% of jeans. That's the thing. And you all are laughing because you guys know I'm right. Grandkids, kids, nieces and nephews spending all of that kind of stuff. And for what? For what? Till three to four months later when the new pair of jeans comes out, now, you, now this is just worthless and it's just going to sit in the closet. Things that we do. The lust of the eyes. Stuff that we see that we just got to have. You know, and, and for me, the older I get, I have the, a, a greater appreciation for food. <laughs> you know, come on. Don't look at me like I'm saying something strange. You know, I start to look at food and I'm like, oh, well, that's the lust of the eyes is the food. And the thing that's funny is like you spend... The $100 on the steak when you could have just, you know, went to someplace else and spent like $20 on, you know, this other steak over here. But $150 on the steak. And it all does the same thing. Right? I mean, seriously, it all does the same thing. I mean, Jesus talks about this, so I'm going to talk about this stuff. I mean, what happens? We eat food, we process it, and then it exits. And it all looks the same. And but here's the point. It's all worthless. 
What is it about this stuff? What is it that we're attracted to all of these types of things? We've got to make it clear in our mind that all the honors, the pleasures, the profits of the world are vanities which draw multitudes away from godliness. And there are so much of it in this world. So much of it draws us away from the word of God and for us to do the things that we need to do. Family, it, it's that idea. It's the, the trying to get people to understand that we've got to remember that the wealth and things that God gives us is a blessing that God gives so that we can be a blessing to God and his kingdom. That's the point. That's the whole idea. This is the thing that I'm training myself, training my children, hopefully training the church so that we see and we recognize that the reason why we are here is to glorify God, not to rest and to wallow in comfort because of all the wealth and the the stuff that God and comforts that God has given us. To glorify God. This is is like, this is where it gets like, you know, really sad. Is, you know, some of the things and, and the ministries that are out there that are like legit ministries that are really trying to do stuff, really doing things for the kingdom of God just cannot get support from people. I just, it's just amazing to me. And I call and I call and I ask and we talk about these types of things and it's just like, man, you know, we're doing, these, we're doing this outreach to this one, uh, this one island chain in Fiji and reaching this one people group and all this stuff and, and we can't get any funding. We ask, we beg, we plead, we can't get any funding in order to be able to do these types of things. I'm less like, well, when you talk about all of this stuff, you talk about the churches that you do, and then you start to realize that a lot of the stuff that people spend their money on, a lot of it is to do with luxuries that in reality are worthless. Seriously. We're gonna, there's people that are out there that have not heard the gospel. There are people that are out there that are struggling, that are having real difficult times. And instead of giving money to these ministries that are gonna do that, we're gonna spend $5,000 on a trash can that says thank you after you put trash in it. I can help you out with this. I'll even help you do it. I'll go with you to Walmart to buy a trash can that costs $15. And I will help you take that thousands of dollars that you saved to give to people in order to give aid to people that really need help. I know places where you can give that, will, that have these ministries that will help people in Hawaii that are really struggling not just Hawaii, but struggling all over the world. And more importantly, that through these opportunities of being able to help and to share, we can actually share with them the gospel of Jesus. So not only are we able to take care of them for that time, but we're able to give them the reality and the truth that's going to give them life and life more abundant. That's the beauty of this. Money doesn't rule. Money is a tool. That's it. And money is the tool to continue to help us bring glory to God in every way. Glory to God. Because that's the chief end of man. The chief end of man is not getting rich. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we're here, is to glorify God. So we got to ask ourselves every single day, when I wake up in the morning, what am I going to do to bring glory to God today? What am I going to do to bring glory to God today? Some of it may require a sacrifice require money sacrifices. We got to sacrifice money in order to do this. Does it bring glory to God? Well, that's our chief end. That's the reason why we are here. It's clear the reality. 
Our hearts and our eyes are inclined to the love of money and worthless vanities. And this is the reality of our nature, our flesh. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. We are all by nature children of wrath. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We, like all, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We by nature do what is right in our own eyes. Loving money, fixating upon worthless things in this world are part of the nature that we inherited with sin. But not only will the Lord incline our hearts away from this, our Lord will save us from this. This is the life that we get from the scriptures that clearly declare the gospel of Jesus. We can have hope today. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He came into this world to seek and save that which was lost by his wounds. We are healed. And the promises continue for us today that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the thing that we need to know. This is the things that we consume ourselves with. These are the words of God that we consume ourselves with, that we meditate on, that we memorize. I know you guys can memorize, especially all you young ones here today, when you guys are able to quote for me stuff that Iron Man said in the last Marvel movie. And you guys, y'all can quote stuff, man. You guys can sing me lyrics from the latest Taylor Swift song. We can do it but we need to get our eyes off of worthless things and get our eyes on the things that will last forever. God's word will last forever. Jesus said it, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words remain forever. After one trillion, trillion years, I don't know what we're going to be doing, after all those years have passed and we're up in heaven in glory, I don't know what, I don't even know what we're going to remember. You know what I'm saying? After all that time goes by, I mean, I know we're in glory. I know we're different. We don't know a lot of these types of things, but I may not even remember that I was married to Janine. But one trillion, trillion years from now, I guarantee you that there's one thing that you will always going to remember. Jesus died for our sins. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Why? Because it's all according to the scriptures. And it will last forever. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.